Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist. Seriously Geeky. Episode 52, The Spiritual Radical. In this episode, Noah Levine answers questions about the Theravada ideals of enlightenment, talks about the spiritual radical, and shares some of his concerns with regards to the environment. This is part two of a two-part series. This episode of Buddhist Geeks is sponsored by the Do No Harm Movement. To learn more about the Do No Harm Movement, and to receive your free Do No Harm bumper sticker and wristband, please visit donoharm.us. transitions nicely into uh, another question I had for you, which is, is talking about suffering in terms of the end of greed, hatred, and delusion, which is very traditional, is that, do you find that to be a pretty good criteria for awakening? Or is that something maybe that's a little bit often misinterpreted or misperceived as being some sort of, you know, emotionless, personalityless, um, and unreachable uh, ideal Right. I, I do. I mean, I like, like kind of to use the term end of, you know, even though I'm sure I do use that term in my book, um, maybe freedom from is better. Mm. Freedom from greed, hatred, and delusion, which perhaps means that greed and hatred and delusion in the forms of attachment and aversion and, uh, you know, kind of conceit of self or I or and freedom from it maybe means that it's not an end, that it doesn't go away. Mm. You know, I make a strong point about this in, in Against the Stream. Mm. That even the Buddha, you know, like, it doesn't go away forever. You just change your relationship to it. Right, like he was still, had serious back issues at, towards Mara the end of his keeps, life. Mara keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I've heard Jack say a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, because if we present it as it's, it's ended, it's gone, it's uprooted, you know, as some of the original scriptures say. Right. It doesn't quite fit when, you know, well, no, I still have a mind and a body and emotions, and they're not gone. They're not ended. I can be free from misidentification with them sometimes. I can have uh, the experience of craving arise and not act on it. Mm-hmm. That's freedom. I can have aversion, you know, to pain arise and not meet it with hatred and judgment. That's freedom. But aversion and and, uh, attachment or craving never arising? I don't know how possible that is. Right, right. I don't even know if that was the Buddha's experience. Right. Uh, You know, even though a lot of the Theravadan scriptures do say that that is what enlightenment means. I don't know how to sort of uh, justify that with him also saying that Mara keeps coming back and checking in to see if his awakening has taken hold. Right, right. Uh, just sort of Mara is like, hey, Buddha, are you still paying attention? Here's a little lust in your mind. Are you still paying attention? Here's a little, you know, fear or, or anger. Are you still paying attention? Mm-hmm. And the Buddha every time saying, I see you, Mara. I am paying attention. Well, you're just that impersonal, impermanent you know, ego phenomena that happens if you have a body. Mm. And so there is an end to greed, hatred, and delusion. 
as in an end to being uh, a slave to it, an end to being identified with it as self. Mm. So you you had this interesting uh, schema towards the end of the book, and it seemed like it was describing a natural progression that one would make as as one becomes more and more involved with Dharma practice. And you called these three different relationships to practice the uh, the spiritual rebel, the revolutionary, and the radical. And each one was progressively more uh, committed to the practice, uh, or at least spending more time with it. And I was wondering if you could describe, I'm not sure if they're ideals or if they're just relationships one has to practice, but I was wondering if you could describe those. Well, you know, I was just kind of trying to, you know, so many people want to know, okay, well, how should I, how do I do this? How much should I sit? And right. you know, how should I live? And, and so I, I thought, well, what a good idea to just, you know, give people five-year practice suggestions, mm. you know, in the rebel, you know, for kind of spend five years practicing the, the precepts. Uh, finding a sangha and getting involved, you know, taking refuge in Buddha Dharma Sangha and really getting involved in a weekly, weekly sangha, and doing you know some meditation retreats and and really doing a sort of progress of insight type of training of really studying the Satipatthana and the Brahma Viharas, mm-hmm. and then sort of expanding upon that. Like, okay, what about the next five years? Okay, of like doing a group and sitting for a month or two months. And, you know, doing kind of longer, like, range retreats type of experiences and getting more involved in that transition from personal practice to altruistic practice Mm. and beginning to really be of service, you know, offering our life's energy for the benefit of all beings, you know, so whatever that looks like. And then ultimately that sort of last path, that radical path of uh, kind of a teacher's path, you know, somebody who after... 10 years or more of practice has, you know, developed enough insight through their own practice and enough commitment to service and generosity that they actually begin to share the Dharma with others as a a generous um, and compassionate offering to help guide people to freedom. Mm. You know, something around that with the five precepts being the kind of baseline of ethical behavior for all practitioners and daily practice and different focuses within daily practice. I think um, the revolutionary, I talk about really focusing for years on forgiveness and compassion practice to really free one's heart from uh, the pains of the past that we're carrying around. Mm. Was that a big part of your, of your past? It's been a huge part of my practice. Yeah. Mm. Many, 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 and ongoing, you know, practice of forgiveness and, and compassion and changing my relationship to this mind that's often judgmental and body that's often uncomfortable. And yeah, it's not, that doesn't sound that cool. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> not that sexy. <laughs> and yet, I mean, there's obviously value to the to the path and it's obviously there is greater and greater freedom from doing those practices. And that's part of why you wrote the book. Yeah. 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 I mean, the experience of whatever level of liberation is so worthy of the effort that it takes to get there. You know, whether it's that first taste of, of liberation that I got, you know, in that jail cell of like freedom from the future, freedom from the past, mm-hmm. 
explore the deeper and deeper levels of freedom from aversion to pain, learning to tolerate pain, to sit with it, and to ultimately begin to care about it and to meet pain with compassion. And these sort of different levels of liberation that come when we're serious about our practice of renunciation and coming more into harmony with impermanence and allowing nature to be nature and stop trying to control everything. And so for me, it's been a very gradual process. There's no sort of major instant enlightenment experiences, but just a slow, you know, the last 20 years of seeing, wow, I'm getting better at being kind, getting better at not taking this mind so personal, Mm. getting better at being present, gradually creating less and less suffering and experiencing more and more uh, equanimity, maybe, you know, that sort of wise, balanced perception of the world, not being so in control or the delusion of being in control and learning to ride the waves of change. Mm. I'm really feeling like, and of course I present it this way because it really feels like it's this rebellion. And and that's what the Buddha said, like you got to go against the stream. The stream is to continue creating extra difficulties for ourselves. And the path to awakening is to go against the status quo, the norm the biological survival instinct that gets these minds to hold on to resentments forever, these bodies to reject discomfort and pain, physical or emotional. Interesting. So going against the stream is both a cultural thing and a biological thing, kind of how we're hardwired. Yeah. Mm. Rewiring. And that's what the transformation is, is this gradual... rewiring, reprogramming, responding rather than reacting. Thanks for sharing that. Definitely appreciate that. of course. So those are pretty much all the the different topics I thought it'd be interesting to go into, but obviously if there's anything else that you'd like to add or anything else you'd like to share, uh, feel free. Well... I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a, a real agenda to go into anything else. I mean, of course, something that is on my mind and a lot of our minds uh, these days is the sort of ecology and and you know, welfare of this planet, which is an interesting thing from a Buddhist perspective, right? Of seeing this world as samsara, seeing this planet as really a temporary realm of constant change. Mm-hmm. And so there's one kind of perspective, which is like, no big surprise. Of course, uh, you know, the greed and, and hatred and delusion of this realm has gone so far as to, you know, really been so destructive as to eventually make this planet uninhabitable by human beings. Mm-hmm. And what a tragedy. You know, what a tragedy. And, and so I'm just, you know, getting my mind around more and more, you know, sort of political and, and ecological action. Mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time uh, on the kind of personal, on the human realm of of helping people and doing my own practice and working in the jails and prisons and all of that stuff. But And somewhat scoffing at the, as a punk rocker, somewhat scoffing at the tree-hugging hippies. Right. But um, there might be something here for me, too, about being a newlywed and, and totally in love and becoming less 
nihilistic about things mm-hmm. and perhaps more attached <laughs> to existence and the existence of this planet for you know my children and my children's children right you know there was a time where in my early vehemence of practice it was kind of like well it doesn't matter because i'm going to get enlightened and get out of samsara <laughs> you know um but i don't feel that way so much anymore i feel much more of a uh, moving towards kind of stewardship and, right. much, and you know and even towards this sort of bodhisattva ideal of not the unrealistic everyone's going to get enlightened bodhisattva but that commitment to working for positive change right so i don't have any real set solutions or, or answers but it's definitely something that's on my mind and is becoming more and more forefront in my practice right you know and as somebody who does have the ability to do some organizing. Um, you know, I'm looking at, at, you know, how can I use my life's energy to do more of that organizing? And, and my teacher, Jack Cornfield, has inspired me a lot mm-hmm. around that. You know, he's really been focusing more on uh, kind of political and social organizing. And so I, I am also uh, moving more in that direction as a teacher. Mm. Great. Well, I, I had one last question, kind of a reverent question for you. And then yeah. I figured we could sign off. I was wondering uh, if you thought that uh, Buddha uh, boxers or briefs here around now. <laughs> Somebody asked me that uh, recently. I was being interviewed, but I don't know if he was asking me if the Buddha boxers are brief or if uh, he was asking me for me. It's funny <laughs> you know, the Buddha was free balling. <laughs> That's true. Neither. That's a good point. You know, the monastics, they have their little uh, kind of undergarment which is like a you know a kind of a small wrap you know but there's no actual underpants good answer that's a good bumper sticker the buddha was a free baller (laughs) that might be a good title for this (laughs) podcast (laughs) maybe that's the kind of freedom he was talking about (laughs) awesome free your your testes And your mind will follow. (laughs) (laughs) We got the audio, our audio guys uh, laughing now too. Great. Cool. (laughs) Thank you, Noah, for that. And uh, thank you for for taking the time to talk to us too. We definitely appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for the good work that you guys are doing over there on the podcast. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, 
and pragmatic Dharma provocateur Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.